Hi everyone. This week we spoke to Isabel Hardman. Isabel is assistant editor at The Spectator and a best-selling author who's recently written about the impact of nature on her mental health and mental health more widely. We spoke about her own experiences in mental health and how nature, and in particular open water swimming and the outdoors, have helped her. We also looked at how coronavirus may change our relationship to nature and the natural world for good. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Hi, Isabel, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, to start with, we always ask about what your kind of personal experience around mental health is. So I've had post-traumatic stress disorder for about four years now. Um, Some bad things happened in my personal life, which I don't talk about in public, Um, but they led to me developing depressive symptoms, uh, very bad anxiety and paranoia. Um, I started to um, have suicidal thoughts and um, eventually had a, a mental breakdown, which meant that I couldn't work for quite a few months. And I've really spent the the past few years since then trying to get back on my feet mentally. Um, and for me, the, the there have been three things which have really helped. One has been taking antidepressants, um, which have really leveled my mood uh, most of the time. Having therapy, which has helped me work through the bad things that happened to me and also develop healthy coping mechanisms and dealing with uh, bad patterns of thinking but finally and I think most powerfully being outdoors in nature has just given me a reason to keep living and has helped me to calm down so many times over the past few years. Yeah something that I completely agree with and was it specifically the combination of things that helped so when I was at kind of lowest ebb the antidepressants were the thing that kind of I was reluctant to take at the start but they were the kind of things that helped me get out and do the stuff like exercise and playing cricket and golf and things like that they kind of let me do that was it the same with you and and the antidepressants and then kind of allowing you to appreciate nature more yeah I think the three things worked together but similarly yes and without the antidepressants I don't think I would have been able to control some of the sort of worst thoughts and also just the the really debilitating low mood that I was having as well so it's, it's very hard for me to separate those three things and people often say oh does it mean that you aren't depressed anymore because you're spending so much time in nature or have you been able to give up um, your antidepressants and no actually I'm on the strongest dose I've ever been on at the moment um, but I uh, but without my without my time in nature I think I probably would have been sicker. So it's quite hard to, to, to separate those three things, but all of them have been essential. Yeah, definitely. Um, and what is it about kind of being in nature and exploring and kind of just being outside that that you think really helps you? Well, from my personal experience, it's a number of things. One is that it just restores my mind. And there's a lot of research into this. There's a theory called attention restoration theory, um, which has been developed over the past couple of decades, which uh, says that the uh, soft fascination of nature, so you know the, the sight of leaves, the sight of flowers, birds, and so on, helps us to restore our minds and to restore our focus. And that that's definitely helped. Also, distracting me from negative thoughts because I'm so fascinated by 
by what I'm seeing, whether it's a bat barn owl hunting at dusk or whether it's a really rare wild flower that I've been looking for four hours, that those things help me focus on something that isn't the the washing machine of, of bad thoughts in my head. And I suppose that's um, a lot of the principles of mindfulness that lots of people are really into that, that I found very hard to get to grips with to begin with, I have to say. Um, what mindfulness does is it focuses you on the present moment, on what's actually happening at the moment, rather than the, the terrifying thoughts you have in your head. So there's a saying, um, I think it's by Mark Twain, which is, I've had a terrible life and most of it never happened. And I, I think a lot of people listening to this and probably you can relate to that, where we just have all these catastrophes which might happen in our mind. Well, for me, nature takes me away from that and makes me focus on what's in front of me. And that's a really good way of me reminding myself that actually the, the things I'm feeling just aren't real. Yeah, that, that quote is particularly kind of applicable to chronic pain because um, most of the most of the pain is actually imagined. So it's it's like there's nothing actually particularly wrong with your body. But if you went in an MRI or anything like that, it would show up highlighting the same areas in your brain. So although it's imagined, you feel it feels exactly like you would be in pain. Um, so what what activities like in particular were good? Was it kind of going out on long walks or gardening or or I think you've spoken a bit about uh like open water swimming which is uh yeah something I'm not going to be taking up anytime soon but seems to have helped you <laughs> yeah it's, it's been a real mix of things and different things have worked at different times and, and will work for different people um for me I have to say that I, I had a very similar attitude to cold water swimming until I tried it and it has really been such a powerful weapon in, in the way I've um, dealt with my mental illness. It has a sort of a shock therapy aspect to it, which helps you tame your fight or flight instinct. And mm. that goes wrong for a lot of people when they're mentally ill. For me, it, it led to me being very frightened all the time that something bad was going to happen, but also very angry. And I'm, I think most people who know me would say I'm quite a placid person naturally, but, but I, I have spent the past four years unnaturally angry in sort of situations that don't merit that at all and cold water swimming has helped me to tame those feelings um, as well as it just being really wonderful to be in nature because you're swimming in lakes rather than in an indoor pool and in, I don't find indoor pools at all enjoyable the sort of echoey shouting um, that bounces off the roof and the, the, the incredibly strong chlorine if you're swimming in a lake, you see a kingfisher rattling over the surface of the water. You see ducks. You can you can smell the the trees, the the nature around you, and it, it really is a, a wonderfully restorative experience. Um, running similarly has been great for me because, as we know, that it releases endorphins and various other chemicals, which help lift our mood. It's also really good for our physical health, and a lot of people with mental illnesses do end up with quite bad physical health not just because of the, the the restrictions that a mental illness can put on your life but also because of the, the medication uh, that is often prescribed is, is very old and crude and can lead to weight gain um, so that sort of exercise is, is really important another thing that I talk a lot about is um, is just following nature so looking for wildflowers and um, photographing birds in particular the two things I absolutely love because I just get so lost in 
the process of looking for these flowers or these creatures and then so lifted by the wonder of the natural world that it just gives me a very simple impetus to keep going and uh, to see more of this incredibly rich world that, that I'm lucky to be alive in at the moment. Yeah, I said I said I wasn't particularly going to give uh, open water swimming a go, but um, my dad is actually Swedish. And one of the things, like most years, we normally spend like two weeks in Sweden. And one of the things I do actually enjoy most there is uh, getting in the sauna and then like jumping, not really swimming, like jumping into very cold water. It kind of gives you that... I suppose it's like a shock. Um, yes, and it does, absolutely. Like thinking about it, it does actually make me feel, I don't know if it's kind of psychosomatic, but I don't know if it like, it helps me feel like better for like a few minutes because it just kind of really wakes you up. Um, but I don't know if that's backed up by any kind of, if that's just a feeling I've got or if it's... No, it is. But there is some really good research into cold water swimming. I, I, I should say that on all things mental health, whether it's uh, the drugs that are prescribed, the therapy that is um, carried out, or indeed interventions in the natural world, there isn't enough of a research base and we really need to spend more on research for, for mental health generally. Um, but the, the research that is there is, is very good on cold water swimming, on the impact it can have on our mental state. It's, there's a doctor called Mark Harper who does a lot with the Outdoor Swimming Society who's looked into this and is trying to do as much as he can to, to examine it and understand it more. Um, and again, it goes back to this fight or flight instinct uh, that, that a lot of us struggle with when we're, when we're unwell. Yeah, definitely. Um, so one thing that you kind of highlighted in your book was that I suppose has been um, probably exacerbated at the moment was the kind of unequal access to outdoor spaces in nature that that we kind of have at the moment and I suppose that's kind of been exacerbated by um, issues of being trapped in the house the whole time can you explain a little bit about that and and how you think we can um, move towards more social prescribing of things like nature for for mental health issues sure yeah so Firstly, I think there is a, a popular misconception that you have to somehow travel somewhere official to see nature. And it's great that we have so many nature reserves in this country, but they are not the only place where you can see nature. And one of the, I think, the good things that has come out of lockdown is that people started to notice what was already around them, even out of their sort of you know, city centre um, flats, that, that you can see birds out of your window that aren't just pigeons. You can see amazing birds of prey, that, like peregrine falcons, which nest on buildings in cities you can see as you're walking even when lockdown was particularly strict when you're on your you know your, your short exercise everyday walk you can see wildflowers growing in the cracks in the pavements and a lot of it is about us refocusing our attention away from I have to say our phones um, and you know what's going on in our heads onto what's actually around us and noticing that and I think a lot of people were amazed by what they could see and hear around them that they've never really paid any attention to before so I think that's really important but it is the case that if you are from a disadvantaged background you are going to find it harder to access green spaces because there just aren't as many of them around where you live um, and there's been a lot of work on this by reports commissioned by the government and so on that the people um, in disadvantaged groups don't have that access and that is something that really needs to change not just in terms of outdoor spaces actually but also in terms of 
indoors. So if you're in social housing, for instance, um, you know, I, I used to be a housing journalist. One of the worst developments I ever visited was not an old crumbling um, block from you know, the 60s or the 70s. It was actually a, a recently built block of affordable housing on the edge of a prestigious development. And there were lots of things that were wrong with it. But one of the things that I found particularly oppressive about it was that the windows were tiny. Um, when glass is very expensive, windows are expensive. And so in affordable housing, it tends to be smaller, even though natural light and views of the natural world are really good for our mental health, which is really important, particularly for people in social housing who are more likely to have mental health problems. So there is this vicious cycle um, that we're creating of uh, people who are from disadvantaged backgrounds who are going to benefit more from access to nature who can't access it as easily as those from the middle classes and I you know I, I am very middle class and I, I don't shy away from that but but I think that it, it's deeply unfair that someone like me should find it easier to access the natural health service than somebody whose accident of birth has been different. Can you see like coronavirus having an impact on the way maybe that we design I suppose maybe our cities are too late but the way we design our buildings and our cities because you you see examples I can't remember if it was you that wrote about it but there's an amazing hospital in Singapore which is really incorporated like plants and things um, into the actual building and the results they get just of patients with all kinds of diseases being able to look out a window is like phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, there, there is quite a lot of long-standing research into um, the impact of natural views, not just on uh, mental illness, but also on physical ailments. So there was research done a few decades ago, which showed that patients recovering from gallbladder surgery who had a view of, um, of the natural world were, were more likely to make a good recovery and less likely to need painkillers, uh, which is incredible. It's fantastic that, that, that nature is that powerful. I guess... Um, you know, we do have a lot of hospitals which have, have long been, long ago been built, but apparently we're going to get 40 new hospitals under the Conservatives. So I suppose that's 40 new opportunities for, for a biophilic, as it's known, design to be included. But there are lots of things that you can do to retrofit um, buildings and towns so that they do become greener and so it is easier for people to access nature. We've seen a little bit of that during lockdown, actually, with um, particularly in London and Manchester streets. Uh, being changed so that it's easier to cycle and so that it's harder for vehicles to get down so that people can, can go about their business um, using greener forms of transport which actually bring them into into better contact with nature and all of these things are, are really important to, to, for us to consider to, to look at new town planning new architecture but also to think about the housing stock and the office stock that we have at the moment and how we can change that. Yeah, and I think something like uh, increasing the pedestrianisation of inner cities is like has so many co-benefits as well in terms of reducing noise pollution, Absolutely. air pollution, yeah. kind of just 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 general health. Anyway, um, so looking particularly at your book, what were your kind of uh, I don't know favourites the right word, but what were the the stories and the people who were the ones that you enjoyed meeting most and found. Uh, I don't really like the word inspiring around mental health, but who did you find the most uh, interesting, I suppose? So I suppose selfishly, uh, one of my favourites was someone whose interview had a huge impact on how I approached my 
my own mental health. A man called Kevin Widowson, who has worked for various wildlife trusts, has also suffered from major depressive disorder for a number of years himself and has, has been in and out of hospital um, with that illness. And I was talking to him at the very start of writing this book when I was still pretty ill, actually. And um, he told me that as part of his therapy, he'd been trying mindfulness. And my heart sank because I thought, oh, my goodness, I've, I've tried mindfulness. It just drives me mad. <laughs> um, you know, I lie in a room in silence trying to get in touch with my body and in touch with the present moment and what will happen is all the thoughts I've been successfully keeping out all day will just come rushing in so I'm not distracting myself um, and so I, I found it very demoralizing but Kevin said that he and his therapist had worked out a way of him doing mindfulness outdoors and it was actually him going out for a walk and noticing the plants around him and really focusing on that. And that was the thing that brought him back into the present moment and stopped him from going off into catastrophizing and thinking all sorts of unwell thoughts and noticing what he was actually experiencing at that very moment. And I started doing that and it's made a huge difference to me. It's meant that I can now do conventional mindfulness because I've built up enough mental muscle to do it. But it also is something that I do every day um, just to, to bring me back to the present moment, to restore my mind. And it, it's hugely powerful. I, I often uh, put my phone on airplane mode um, when I'm walking my dogs and just focus on the trees and listening for the birds and listening for other sounds uh, that, we, that even when you feel you're quite in touch with nature, you might not notice, like, for instance, the sound of raindrops bouncing off the leaves and then onto the ground, or even the sound of leaves scratching against one another in the breeze. All of those things just bring me back to the present moment. So that interview with Kevin was really powerful. There's also um, an interview I did with a chap called John, who had been homeless, uh, slept rough for a number of years, and has had really bad mental health problems all of his life. And he has really improved thanks to gardening and the, a lot of people will say well yes we know that there's a great link between gardening and mental health and you know, this isn't surprising but what I found surprising was that he wasn't actually that bothered about gardening itself for him it was the social contact and the sense of purpose that it gave him and it actually got him into paid work with the charity Thrive who were helping him at the time so gardening has changed his life but not in the way that I'd expected. I focused solely on the plants because I'm a keen gardener myself. I hadn't thought of the power that gardening in a group can have for someone whose social skills have been really undermined by you know, a decade of sleeping rough. And for, for John, he, he found that the gardening side of things was incidental to, to, to the way in which being around other people helped him. And so that was really powerful. Yeah, I think that's a really cool story and also to kind of go back to the to the mindfulness stuff the kind of first session I had with my uh, psychologist he was like yeah we're gonna we'll try doing this and I was like how on earth is something like this going to help me when I'm like in agony and I was like this is complete bullshit like I came here wanting to have some kind of thing that, that was going to help me that I could turn to um, so I kind of dipped in and out of it for quite a long time, which it kind of sounds like you did a bit until I realised that 
a I could do it lying down or walking around and b that you know I didn't have to dive right in at the deep end doing like 40 minutes of sitting down with my legs crossed um so I think the way that you and I can't remember the guy's name that you were talking about got into got into it kind of got introduced to it more gradually is is a much better way of doing things um and one another thing that I've seen uh, seen you write about is how good your work were with you when you needed to take you know periods of time off is that something that you think is pretty pervasive across all workplaces or do you think there was something that they just got specifically right and how can you how can we I suppose implement that across a wider range of workspaces sure yeah I, th- I think my experience is pretty uncommon actually I've been very very lucky to have a very supportive employer I was lucky that I'd been working at the spectator for a number of years by this point I was well established in my career um you know I've I'd won awards for being a political journalist by this point and so if I think if I'd got sick when I was a very junior member of staff I would have been treated well by the spectator too but I think they really went above and beyond because they they knew me they trusted me um and they wanted me to carry on working for them they saw me as an asset um, and so I'm I'll always be hugely grateful to my editor Fraser Nelson for, for the way that he managed my my illness and my sick leave and my return to work they did a phased return for me um, and I, I've really changed a huge amount about the way I work because unfortunately I haven't gone back to how I was before and I do have to take time out um, sometimes unexpectedly as a result of my ongoing mental health problems and the spectator have, have worked around that and I know that's not possible for all employers but I think what the spectator have done which everyone can emulate is think creatively about how to keep an employee and to see the things that they bring to the workplace are still existing but that they that there need to be reasonable adjustments uh, for that mental illness so that, that person can, can carry on working and I've now been the spectator for eight years and I have absolutely no plans to go anywhere because I love working for them and I'm very grateful for the support they've given me and I think it's made me a better employee because I'm because I've been so well looked after as well. I think things that employers could do to ensure that the general mental well-being of their employees, whether or not they have diagnosed mental health problems, is encourage them to get outside during the day. So don't have a workplace culture where you're all dropping crumbs into your uh, keyboards at lunchtime, that actually going outside for a walk, having meetings outside even. Fraser Nelson, my boss, often suggests we walk around St James's Park when we're having a, a meeting rather than just sitting indoors um what about staff socials does everything necessarily need to be centered around the pub as, as much as I as a journalist love spending time in the pub I do find that going for a walk or doing sort of outdoor thing is much better for my well-being and it's probably more inclusive actually for for members of staff who don't want to drink who um just find the pub a bit boring and, and he's still uncomfortable in a, in a drinking setting as well. So thinking about things like that, I, I used to work for, um, I worked for an organisation which instead of having booze ups, um, decided to do staff walks um, in a really nice part of um, um, the southwest of England. And, and that was really good. And I think I got to know my colleagues better and probably in a better light than, um, than when people are, are off their faces uh, having a day drinking yeah to kind of 
start wrapping things up, we always ask what um, what you kind of personally do to look after your mental health at the moment. And I suppose it's going to be a lot centred around uh, nature. Well, at the moment, I have a I have a two month old baby, so I've had to change the way I do things quite dramatically um, to ensure that I am still looking after my mental health and, and getting outdoors. Uh, the great thing about babies is that you can take them out on walks in the pram and they fall asleep. And so I've been doing a lot of a lot of walking with with my son, um, and he seems to really love looking up at the tree canopy um, in the woods where I walk the dogs, and that seems to relax him. Um, and also, I have. I have tried to make time to get to um, exercise classes and to, to spend a bit of time on my indoor bike, handing baby to my partner or to his older sisters um, so that they look after him just so I get a bit of space and that I do some really vigorous exercise as well because that makes a huge difference to, to my mental well-being. Um, people often, when you're talking about how to, to look after your mental health, they'll say, oh, but what about this situation where you have a small child or you're very busy at work or, or, or um, and I understand that, that there are barriers to enjoying the natural world and that everyone has time constraints. But I think that the most important thing is being creative and thinking, well, I do still really need to look after myself. So how am I going to make that a priority even, you know, while looking after a tiny baby? And for me, this time of, of, of being a new mum, has, it's been really important to me to to work that out early on because I know that without the natural world I start to get ill and I, I want to be a good mummy to my son and I want to stay as healthy as possible and so um, being outside and in nature helps me to do that. Yeah I think that's a really important point that um, that even when we're in situations that might be really stressful or time consuming that it's important to try and create that time to look after our mental health like because it will help you hopefully be better at the things that are taking up your time and things like that um yeah so where can we find uh more about what you do um your book which which i really enjoyed especially it kind of got me back into I used to be obsessed with uh butterflies and it got me back into like butterfly spotting but also I live in um in the in the in the Chilterns which is which has a um which has loads of uh red kites and deer and like I live quite close to um to the river chess which is got um uh which has got loads of trout and stuff in so that it kind of inspired me to to get out and, and do a bit more walking and, and uh, nature spotting. But yeah, where can we find out more about all that kind of stuff? Well, obviously read my book, The Natural Health Service. Um, and I think if you want to start getting more involved in nature and you don't really know where to start, then look at some of the big charities operating in this space. So um, Plant Life for Wildflowers, Butterfly Conservation, the RSPB and so on, that, that they're all starting to get more and more into the, the mental health benefits of nature, not just because they they know themselves from a lot of their own staff that, that being in nature is good for them, but there's also a, 
if we see nature as something that we benefit from, then nature benefits from us because we're more likely to protect it. And obviously our natural world is under huge threat at the moment. And so the more the more people who need nature, the more nature will benefit for, for, from our protection, I think. I think that's a really good place to leave it. Thank you so much as well. Great. No, thanks. Hi, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Just a quick note to say that although the things Isabel and I talked about we may find helpful, we're not trained medical professionals. If you're struggling with your mental health, please contact your GP or an organisation like Samaritans on 116 123.